I want to talk about time passing quickly. Uh, it was 17 years ago today that I first stood in this pulpit and introduced myself to the people of First Baptist Thompson. 17 years ago. Some of y'all were... <laughs> Thank you. Some of, some of these kids were literally just one. I mean, just being held... You know, I can remember Tamara holding Elizabeth, I mean, just in your arms, and now they're graduating, and it is just uh, hard for me to comprehend that and, and wrap, my, wrap my mind around, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable. So, uh, so yes. You know, it, uh, as I've been thinking this week about what I wanted to say to y'all, it, it, you know, it took me back, not just 17 years ago, but further than that, to when I graduated from high school. I'm not even going to say how long ago that was. And, uh, you know, just remembering, you know, very much the, the day that I stood here and, and, and met all of you, uh, it, there's a mixture of excitement and nervousness. Uh, there, there's a mixture of, of sort of nostalgia for the past, but also this great anticipation of the future. And, and you know, there's so much to think about and consider, especially, you know, you're talking about moving from Texas to Georgia or moving, you know, into a dorm room somewhere. And you've got to think about, what am I going to take? You know, maybe you've already been thinking about that. Okay, you know, I've got, I'm going to have a room that's going to be this big. You know, and I've got to, everything that I want has got to fit into this little space. And I have to share it with somebody. And I can remember coordinating with, with the guy that I knew was going to be my roommate. Who's going to bring the TV? Who's going to bring the microwave? You know, those kinds of things. But I, wanted, I was thinking about what is the one thing beyond all of that? What is the most important thing you can take with you when you go to college? Because obviously it's not televisions or toiletries, right? I mean, those are essential. Don't get me wrong. Toiletries are essential. We, we want to make sure that we smell good. But what is the most essential thing from this day forward? Whatever your future plans, whether you're going off to college or, or staying here or entering the workforce, what is the most important thing you can take with you? Is it your intellect? I mean, after all, knowledge is power is what we hear, right? Is it confidence? You know, they, they say that 90% of success is just confidence. You know, just be confident in who you are. Maybe it's charisma. You know, I mean, they, they, you know, they say that popularity and just being the kind of person that people like and is important, that it's, sometimes it's not so much what you know, but who you know. So is it charisma? I'd argue that the most important thing you should never leave home without is integrity. Because we all know people who are intelligent and people who are passionate and confident in who they are and what they do. We all know people with winning personalities, but they have no integrity. And eventually all the intellect and confidence and popularity in all the world can never make up for the fact that they are untrustworthy and inconsistent and fake. Integrity. Without integrity, nothing else you possess really has any lasting value. Integrity is what gives your life cohesion. Now, the Hebrew word for integrity, if you, if you read that word as we're going to do in a few minutes in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for that means completeness, wholeness, fullness. So in other words, to have integrity means that there are no compromises. There are no breaches in the wall of your character. You mean what you say and you say what you mean and you follow through on your promises and your commitments. That's integrity. Now, think about the English word 
integrity. What is the root of the English word integrity? It's integer. And those of you that are math people, what is an integer? It's a whole number, right? An integer is a whole number. It's not a fraction. There are integers and there are fractions. So to have integrity is literally to be a whole person. You're not a fractured person. You're whole. You're one. One of the saddest realities today is that so many of our political leaders and even spiritual leaders, teachers and coaches and the celebrities that we idolize and the CEOs of major companies lack integrity. We see it again and almost every day in the news. Some, some childhood you know, idol is just dashed to pieces because we realize they weren't who we thought they were. They lacked integrity. And our culture has become so fractured and our culture encourages us to live fractured lives. Another way to think about this is that we tend to build silos. Did you know that, you know, whether you're going into agriculture or not, you're, you're a silo builder. We, we have the church silo. So there's my little church self I build over here with all my church stuff in it. And then there's the school silo. You know, there's, there's the Sunday silo and there's the Monday silo and there's the Friday night silo. We have silos for sports. We have a silo for this group of friends and one for that group of friends. And then we have a silo for home and family. We all want everything in their own nice, neat little box. Another way to think about it is that, is that old lunchroom tray. You know what I'm talking about? The one that's got the divided slots in it. You know, everything has its nice little place so they don't touch each other. Now, I'm one of those people. I don't like my food to touch. So I kind of like those trays. But the, the problem is we do that with our life. And we do that because it helps to keep our story straight, right? So we just kind of remember, oh, this is what I tell this group, and this is what I tell this group. I can talk and act differently with who I'm around because they're each in their own individual little areas. I could be one person on Monday and someone else on Sunday and someone else on Friday. And, and, And then there's social media. Because on social media, I can have different profiles. Different versions of myself that I can put online. My my Facebook profile shows one side of me, but my Snapchat profile will show a different side of me. And then there's my Instagram and my Finstagram. I'm not going to ask how many people in here have a Finstagram. That's a fake Instagram. That's sort of like a, a second Instagram that you can have that you can sort of be somebody different with these people. That's a lack of integrity a lack of integrity because I'm not one person. There's two or four or ten different versions of me. And that's not healthy. That's not sustainable. As I was thinking about the idea of integrity, I kept thinking of the term structural integrity. Mainly because I'm a big sci-fi nerd and on Star Trek they always talk about the structural integrity of the ship is coming apart, Captain, you know, or whatever. And I thought, well, what is structural integrity? What does that mean other than that Scotty can't save the day? Structural integrity is the ability of a bridge or a building or some other structure, especially one that has lots of different parts, to hold together under the pressure, under its own weight, and under the strain of a heavy load. So if a building or a bridge or a starship lacks structural integrity, the results are disastrous. They're deadly. 
And the same is true for our lives. If we lack integrity, that means we can't hold it all together. All of our roles and responsibilities and our relationships, we can't hold them together as one. And they come collapsing down under the pressure and the strain of life. Our lives fall apart if we lack integrity. And when that happens, often other people get hurt in the fallout. And that's why Proverbs 10:9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely. But whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. If I walk in integrity as a whole, complete person, if I'm the same person at church as I am at school or at work or with my family and my friends, then I can walk securely. I don't have to worry about things falling apart under the pressure. I don't have to worry about somebody finding out that I'm not really who I say that I am. But those who take crooked paths, those whose lives are twisted and fractured, they will be found out. So really, integrity's overriding quality is wholeness. To have integrity is to have wholeness. There's no discrepancy between what a person of integrity appears to be on the outside and what they really are on the inside. What you see is what you get with a person of integrity. You're the same person you are in Thompson as you are away at school. For the Christian, integrity means a living according to what we say we believe. We live out our beliefs. We practice what we preach. We walk the walk as well as talk the talk. We actually live our lives by what the Bible says if we're going to be people of integrity. It means that I live a consistent, Christ-centered lifestyle all the time around all people and in all places. Because we shouldn't divide ourselves up into these different silos, into these different versions of ourselves. Now, that being said, there are definitely different spheres of life that we move through. And, and that's, I think, why structural integrity is a good illustration, because our lives are made up of lots of moving parts. I do have multiple roles and responsibilities and relationships. And I need integrity to keep it all together and working right. So I want us to consider this morning how integrity is essential in four main spheres and influences of our life. And I want to use a young man from the Old Testament as a as sort of an ongoing illustration of having integrity in these different spheres of life. And the first is this. Integrity is rooted in your private life. Integrity is rooted in your private life. We all have a private world. That, that part of you where no one else really ever goes. Not even your closest friends. It's that part of you where your, your inner thoughts, your, your hopes, dreams, and fears reside. And no one really goes into that private world except you and, of course, the God who created you and loves you and knows your every thought. That's it. That's your private world. It's the place, really, where integrity is born. Integrity is not adhering to some outward moral code. Rather, integrity stems from the depth of your identity, from the depths and the core of your very being. It flows from your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. That's your private world, your hidden 
life. To the ancient Hebrews, the heart was not the seat of the emotions like we think of it. It's, it's you know, we, when we think of a heart, we think of romance and love and all these, these emotions. But to the ancient Hebrew, the heart was the core of your identity. It was the seat of your beliefs and your values and your loves. Integrity is rooted and grows from that private life that you cultivate with God in your inmost being. Think about it like this. What is the most important aspect of a building's structural integrity? Is it the roof? Is it the windows? It's the foundation. And and if you're looking at some majestic, beautiful, architecturally elegant skyscraper, the most important part of that building's ability to stand straight and tall is something you can't see. It's hidden. It's buried underground. It's, it's, it's at the bottom. It's, it's in that foundation that's dug deep down to the bedrock. Or think about a mighty oak tree. What keeps that oak tree standing strong and firm in life's storms? What keeps its leaves lush in the heat and the dryness of summer? It's got a deep root system. And without those roots, that tree will not stand and it will not thrive. And in the same way, your hidden life with God is what gives you integrity. Colossians 3.3 reminds us that as Christians, our life is now hidden with Christ in God. We've died to ourselves. We've died to to, to sin. And our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And we have to nurture that hidden inner life through spiritual disciplines if we want to be people of integrity. What are those spiritual disciplines? Things like spending time alone with God in prayer. Spending time in His Word, reading it, studying it, meditate on it, committing it to memory. It's worshiping with God's people. It's serving others. It's giving generously. It's taking Sabbath rest seriously. These are the tools that we need to tend the garden of our soul, to guard our hearts so that the roots of integrity can grow deep and sustain us through those spiritual dry spells in the heat of temptation and through the storms of life. And that brings us to Joseph. Joseph, you may remember in Genesis chapters 37 through 50, is, is the favorite son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. He inheritor of the promise of God. And you may remember that Jacob loved Joseph the most. Joseph was his favorite. And Jacob gave Joseph an amazing technicolor dream coat that his brothers really wanted. And we first meet Joseph as a young, immature fellow, a little on the arrogant side, but really I think that's more a reflection of his father's favoritism than it is of of his character. And, And we quickly discover in the story that Joseph is a man of integrity. Even though he is his father's favorite son, we get this sense that Joseph that Jacob also trusts Joseph. He trusts his judgment. And we see from his brothers, his brothers certainly didn't have any doubt that Joseph was honest to a fault. And that was one of the reasons they hated him. And it's, it's after his brothers, out of that jealousy, they, they sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt. That's when we really begin to see Joseph's character come to the forefront. In Egypt, Joseph is sold to a guy named Potiphar as a slave. And Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's guard. And, and so he was, a, he was a man that commanded armies, and he was a good judge of character. And he noticed something about Joseph. He noticed the integrity in Joseph's life. And eventually Joseph became second in charge of Potiphar's household. He was basically running the place. But then Potiphar's wife noticed something else about Joseph, and that's that he was a looker. 
And she wanted him. And she put pressure on him. And he resisted the temptation. And he said no to her. And she didn't take like, you know, she, she didn't like being told no. She, that wasn't something she heard very often. So she lies to Potiphar and says that Joseph tried to rape her and Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. But even in prison, Joseph's integrity was maintained. And the warden of the prison took notice of the kind of guy Joseph was. And in prison, Joseph became second in command in charge of the rest of the prisoners. He maintained his integrity. And once again, he rose to a position of leadership. Now, you hear that story and you have to wonder, what is the source of Joseph's strength in the face of such unjust treatment in the face of such adversity how can he maintain his integrity against all the temptations of egypt and and against the pressure of potiphar's wife how is it he can keep himself together when he's been unjustly thrown into prison well in genesis chapter 39 we we get some insight into what's going on with joseph it says in verse 2 the lord was with joseph and he prospered And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. That's why he rose to a place of prominence in Potiphar's household. And then in verses 20 through 23... It says that but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. See, Joseph had an intimate relationship with God. He relied on the Lord to guide and comfort and strengthen him through very difficult times. And he didn't complain about life. He didn't say it was unfair. He didn't play the victim card. In fact, later in his life, when he is reunited with his brothers, and and he's in a position to really put some hurt on them, and they're afraid of him, listen to what Joseph says. Listen to Joseph's heart, his attitude, this inner private life that he has nurtured with God. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Because Joseph walked with the Lord in integrity, he could walk securely. And while the world around him was literally crumbling, his inner world was not because it was built on that solid foundation. And so to our graduates, I want to encourage you to make your private life a priority. Guard your heart. Tend your souls. This world is only going to get more hectic and crazy and it's going to distract you and try to pull you in a thousand different directions. So wherever you end up, as as Ben said to you this morning at the breakfast, find a Bible-believing church, one that is active in its community. Worship regularly with God's people. Find a place to serve and jealously guard that time with God every day for prayer 
and His Word. Because I believe that if you're relentless in this pursuit, your integrity won't waver. Your faith will only grow stronger and you'll be able to see more clearly than all those around you. The second thing we see is not only is integrity rooted in our private life, but it's also reflected in our personal life. If, if, we, are, if we are rooted in integrity in our hearts, then that's going to be reflected in the relationships around us. I mean, think about it. No one knows whether you're a person of integrity better than your closest friends in your family. Amen? I mean, they see you on good days and bad days. They see you at your best and at your worst. And they know whether you're the real deal or not. You may wonder then, well, okay, well, then why did Joseph's brothers hate him so much and want to sell him into slavery? If that's true, then why would Potiphar throw Joseph into prison when he hadn't done anything wrong? Well, that's why our integrity is rooted in our private life and reflected in our personal relationships because the people around us may or may not be people of integrity. Our character identity, our personal foundation can't be found in other people. There's an interesting passage in John's Gospel. Jesus, it says in John chapter 2, Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs He was performing and believed in His name. But Jesus would not entrust Himself to them, for He knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for He knew what was in each person. In other words, Jesus understood how fickle people can be. And they may praise you, Hosanna, one day and crucify you the next day. They may believe in you today, but when you ask something too hard from them, they might turn their backs on you tomorrow. See, our identity has to be found in Christ, not in other people, not in what others say or think of us. Because when we're overly concerned about what other people think of us, we surrender our identity. We give up our integrity for what they want, for their approval. And this is unwise. Jesus understood this. He was a man of integrity. He had a solid understanding of who he was and what he was coming to do, what his purpose was in life, and he wasn't going to be swayed or dissuaded by anyone. That's what that passage in John means. Proverbs 29.25 puts it this way, Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So when we worry about what others think, when we try to gain their approval by changing who we are in Christ so we can fit into the crowd, that's a dangerous trap. But as Joseph learned again and again, when we trust in the Lord, even in slavery, even in prison, when we trust in the Lord, there is safety. The Lord was with Joseph. He helped him to prosper. Joseph walked securely because he walked in integrity. And those who saw Joseph saw that integrity. In fact, really, it was because of his integrity, it was because of the blessings that God had given him that his brothers hated him so much and sold him into slavery. And it was because of that integrity that Potiphar only threw Joseph in prison instead of having him executed. Because if Joseph had really done what Potiphar's wife said... Potiphar would have been within his rights as the owner of that slave to kill him on the spot. And Potiphar didn't do that. And Potiphar could have thrown him into the Egyptian version of Gitmo. But he didn't do that. Instead, Joseph landed in basically what we might think of as minimum security. He ended up in the palace prison. He ended up in the prison where Pharaoh's political enemies went. 
These weren't hardened criminals. And in fact, that's where Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker end up. And Joseph meets them and interprets some dreams for them. And it's sort of through that chain of events that he later ends up in the presence of Pharaoh himself. Why would Potiphar put him there? I think it's because Potiphar didn't really believe his wife's story. I think it's because Potiphar heard what his wife said and thought to himself, that doesn't sound like the Joseph that I know. He trusted Joseph. But what's he to do? He's kind of between a rock and a hard place. He doesn't really believe this about Joseph, but this is his wife, right? Happy wife, happy life. Write that down. That's important to know. You won't learn that in college. See, the point is, though, when we're honest... I love you, dear. When we're honest... When, and I'm just being honest. When we're honest... When we're truthful and trustworthy, when we're consistent in our character, people will trust us. They may not like you. They may not agree with you. But there's a level of respect because they can trust you. Because they know that you're sincere. Because you've got a good reputation. And those are things that no one can take away from you. Mark Twain said, always do right. It will gratify some people and astonish the rest. I love that. If you always do right, if you're a person of integrity, people either love you for it or they'll be completely perplexed by you because they don't get it. Are you a person of integrity? Are you the same at home and at school and at church? Are you the same person with your family as you are with your friends? Are you one person or are you a two-face? How many different versions of yourself are there online? Whichever it is, it will be reflected in your personal life. The third area is that integrity is reinforced in our professional life. For our graduates, this is a sphere of life that's really kind of laying before you like an open book. For the rest of us, it's an area of our life that even still is expanding and ever-widening. If you have a hidden life, with your integrity rooted in Christ, it will not only be reflected in your close personal relationships, but it will be reinforced in your day-to-day dealings. O.S. Hawkins writes, Integrity is reinforced on the anvil of personal experience and practiced in the marketplace. And really, this is where we find our greatest opportunity to engage our world and to impact our culture for Christ. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said, Go ye therefore into all the world. Now, the Greek word there is better translated, As you go. Therefore, as you go into the world. In other words, what Jesus was saying is as you go about your life working and studying and shopping and playing and rubbing elbows with your co-workers and your neighbors, influence them for the kingdom of God. By your lifestyle and through your words, show them and teach them what I have commanded you. Disciple them. It is imperative that we be men and women of integrity in the professional world around us, whether that's for you right now in the college classroom or in the workplace. Because when we enter that classroom, when we enter the workplace, we are among the multitudes who need the grace of God, who are hungry for the gospel, and they're watching you. They're watching you. And they will take note of whether you display integrity or not. Because there is such a famine of integrity in our world. 
If you want to stand out on the college campus, young people, be a committed Christian who's consistent in your witness, and you'll stand out. You know, we always hear about people, you know, be yourself, be unique. You know, don't just fit in with the crowd. Well, listen, if you stand firm on your convictions and you are secure in your identity in Christ, in other words, if you are a person of integrity, you're going to be unique. You're not going to be fitting into the crowd. Faithfully following Jesus is a unique thing on today's college campus and, frankly, in today's workplace as well. I found a poem by a man named Ted Ingstrom, and he talks about how desperately our world needs men, and I would say, and women of integrity. He says, The world needs men and women who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who are larger than their vocations, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be as honest in small things as in great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will not say they do it because everybody else does it, who are true to their friends through good report and evil report in adversity as well as in prosperity, who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success, who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it is unpopular, who can say no with emphasis, although the rest of the world says yes. That is a person of integrity. And let's go back to Joseph. Let's think about Joseph. We've already talked about how his integrity caught the attention of Potiphar. And that's why he was elevated to second in command of the house. And it was noticed by the prison warden, which put him in charge of all of the prison. But then Joseph's integrity landed him in front of Pharaoh himself. And it gave him the opportunity to rise to be second in command of all of Egypt. Because Joseph was a man of integrity and walked securely. He had the opportunity to shape Egyptian culture, to enact policies, to make people's lives better. And ultimately, he saved the entire country from starvation during a famine, as well as save his own estranged family. Joseph's brothers come looking to Egypt for food, and lo and behold, they find themselves on their faces before their brother, and they don't even know it. And Joseph recognizes them immediately. And he struggled. He struggled with what he should do. He struggled with whether he should punish them. Should he test them? Should he make them grovel? But in the end, he forgave them. And he welcomed them back with open arms. Joseph's integrity was reinforced in his professional capacity. And that's what helped him to extend mercy and forgiveness in his personal life and to make reconciliation happen with his family. Now, that's why it's foolish for us to think that we can keep our lives in these separate compartments. You know, building silos doesn't really work. The poet John Donne wrote, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Now, he's specifically talking about you know, if somebody dies and, and the effect that death has on, on everybody. That, 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 you know, don't ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for you. That's how the poem ends. But underlying that is a truth in that we are all a part of one another. And as Christians, we talk about that we are the body of Christ, and if one part hurts, all the members suffer with it. That's integrity. It's the idea that my actions cannot be divorced from their consequences, that who I am and what I do will impact other people. 
And consider how Joseph's integrity, his consistent trust in God, and his desire to help those around him, regardless of the circumstances, eventually put him where he had the power to save the country and his family. So yes, what you do on the weekend matters. It has a ripple effect beyond your control. You may not see it immediately, but they're there nonetheless. Every action is putting you one step further down a path down a trajectory, and the further down that path you go, straying from where you should be going, the harder it is to make a course correction. And you never know who's watching you, who you're influencing by what you say and do. You're not an island unto yourself. What happens in Vegas doesn't really stay in Vegas. It does eventually follow you home. And that brings me to my final point, and that is integrity is revealed in your public life. Once you're thrust in the public arena, it's too late to look for integrity. We've got some people in the public arena right now that need to learn that lesson. If you don't already possess integrity, it's too late. Now, here's the hard part for you guys, for all of us. We are in the public arena. Thanks to the Internet, you're just one stupid video or embarrassing photo away from being a viral sensation on the Internet, right? I mean, we are so much more in the public arena now than, than, than we could ever imagine. And, and the, the problem is that no amount of spin can make up for your lack of integrity. Just pick the public figure who's out there right now trying to spin things to cover up for their lack of integrity. We see right through it. Solomon's words ring so true today. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes the crooked path will be found out. When integrity is rooted in your private world, it will be reflected in your personal relationships. It will be reinforced in the professional arena and ultimately it will be revealed in the public sphere. The question is, will that revelation be to the glory of God or to your shame? The choice is yours. What kind of trajectory is your life going to embark on from graduation day onward? Who will you be? What your friends want you to be? What the world says you should be? Or will you be who God says you are? Created in His image. Infinitely loved and valued by Him. So much that Christ died on the cross for you. Forgiven and hidden with Christ in God. That's who God says you are. If you're a Christian this morning, God says you're His royal ambassador. He says that you are to shine His light into a dark world, that you are like the salt of the earth, seasoning the world around you with His truth and grace. And I pray for our graduates and for all of us that we would embrace that identity, that we would be children of God, that we would be His royal ambassadors, that we would live in freedom, which means we don't conform to the patterns the world wants us to conform to, but we're transformed by the truth and love of Jesus Christ. This morning... If you're not a Christian, you're already living a fractured life. Fractured by sin. The Bible says we're all born fractured. T- torn apart by sin. Wandering and lost. But Jesus came and died and rose again that He could take our broken lives and put them back together and give us wholeness and peace and life abundant. This morning, maybe you need to come and give the broken pieces of your life to Jesus Christ. And let Him build you into the person that God would have you to be. Do you know the Lord this morning? 
as we sing in a moment, I invite you to come and put your trust in Him. Maybe this morning you're, you're here and you've been worshiping with us for some time and God is leading you to unite with this church family. I want to tell you, we're not a perfect church. And you're not going to find a perfect church. But I do believe that we're a people who know who we are. And we know who God has called us to be. And we strive, though we are many, to come together, to be integrated as one body in Christ. Maybe God would have you come and unite with this church. Here in a moment we're going to sing, and I invite you to come and respond as God leads. But first, would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You are a God who never changes. You are constant, consistent, and trustworthy, and we often are not. Forgive us for our lack of integrity. Forgive us for when we try to be different around different people, when we don't follow through on our commitments and our promises, when we waver on what we know to be true and right. Forgive us. And help us, Lord. Help us to be one. Help us to be whole. Help us to be true to who You have created and saved us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.